Support this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Camp Radio, a student-operated non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and va- exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in anytime at KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the art and entertainment world. On today's show, we talk about TV season and series finales and catch up on the latest news and releases. Welcome to The Medium, season four, episode five. Welcome. We'd like to clarify before we start, we're talking about finales, but it is not our finale. We'll have one more episode after this for the semester. Yes. But, you know, this was the topic we chose, so. So, spoilers ahead, just so you know. Oh, indeed. Yeah, that's a given. Um, just start, start off by saying that right away. You're listening to the rest of the podcast on your own discretion. <laughs> yeah, let's not have to clarify that yeah. for every single show. <laughs> so, basically, um, we're just going to kind of give a few examples of some bad finales, some good finales, some weird ones, and then we each are going to talk about one specifically. Um, but song, let me ask you. Ask away. What makes a good finale? That's a great question. And you don't mm. know. <laughs> no, I. but it's all, uh, it's all uh, relative, right? Mm-hmm. Comparing, like, what's the show, what's going on, what's the setup been ahead of time, you know? So, like, how can we make one should we just make one like general idea of what a good finale is yeah yeah because i feel like what to, does it take to get a yeah. good finale i always think that a good finale should somehow try to summarize the season or the show it should tie up loose ends in a uh, appropriate manner mm-hmm. um and it should somehow you know it should have some sort of satiety to it some satisfaction mm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the sense that it could be both a positive and a negative depending on again the show mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. and the circumstances yeah i feel um like the satisfaction is a good way to put it for the fans but also for the characters but i judge a finale based kind of on how like bittersweet it is in a weird sense in that like sad that it's over but glad that it was done well, or it like was satisfying, and that you can live with that. It's over because it was a good ending. Yeah, I keep thinking also like, like you're saying, it's somehow emotionally it, it awakens you emotionally somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and like you can be sad about it ending because you're gonna be sad about the show, or like mm-hmm. maybe there's a certain plot point that happened that's sad. But as long as you can live with that because it was like in line with what the show or like what the characters were going through. If it, basically, if it makes sense, hopefully that's enough. Yeah, I think that's a good good way of explaining it. So, on the flip side, what makes a bad finale? I feel like you get bad finales 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. Good finales the other 30. Maybe it's the 80-20 rule. <laughs> um, but bad finales just don't tie up the loose ends like you said. Like They leave a lot of things unle- unwritten. Characters are just like unresolved, either... Like, obviously, life goes on, but if you don't feel, like, a sense of, okay, that's that on that story, mm-hmm. what, like, what, what comes next? Okay. You can't really leave it too open unless you're planning on continuing that. How, how about this as, like, a, a uh, 
cookie cutter type of way of looking at finales. It answers a good finale answers more questions than it leaves you with. And the flip side, it mm. gives you more answers to be or questions to be answered than answering the questions throughout the season. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. Like you kind of you have to wrap up more than you leave on. Yeah, yeah. And I like it's totally fine too to like leave it a little bit ambiguous or like with that whole life continues after mm-hmm. this. That's fine too. Just as long as it's not in a you didn't even finish the story yeah. kind of sense. Um, further question for you. Do you think shows should be written with their finale in mind? And you can take this either as like season finale mm-hmm. or series finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are hard questions. I'm not going <laughs> to like, especially like for people who have written like scripted work too. And that's probably anyone in this demo department, to mm-hmm. be honest. Know that it's so hard to write something regardless. Like, I like to think that stuff like this kind of evolves on its own. It takes on its uh, life of its own. So, sure, yeah, shows can be written with the finale in mind, but other shows, maybe not. You know, like, let's see how this develops. And I think shows that listen to the community, the audience, very often do that. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just let this evolve. Let's see what people say and then go from there. While other shows can, you know, be reversed and be like, yep, we, we wrote the ending first mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. backtrack from there. So, yeah, I think there's positives to both. Like if you have the finale in mind, obviously you can like leave clues and mm-hmm. like foreshadow to that and like really make everything lead up to that moment. But then also there are some times where like when you're writing and your characters are not doing what you thought or planned for them to do, like mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel right. So in that case, you kind of just got to let the story and the characters lead the way and then that might take you somewhere entirely different yeah and if you were to force what you originally wanted then you might get like a really awkward Mm -hmm. um just jilted story and you don't really want that either yeah i think that writing a show with the finale in mind is the safer way to do it sure and we're going to talk about some shows that i definitely could put money down did not write the finale Mm. Mm -hmm. or write the show with the finale in mind so um, let's let's get into that. Yeah, we have yeah. some examples of some good finales, some bad ones, some weird ones. Let's start with the bad ones and just get them out of the way. Yes. Um, I feel like a really big <laughs> obvious one is Game of Thrones. Definitely not written with the finale in mind, mm. but there's also other external factors at play here. <clears throat> Star Wars. <clears throat> mm. <laughs> so um, the <laughs> season eight finale of Game of Thrones is just... It, overshadows every other good season finale that Game of Thrones had because it's a cheap shot mm. of a episode. Like, it's cheap writing. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can say whatever about what I'm saying because I'm not a major TV show writer, but mm-hmm. I think the general consensus here is that that was cheap. Yeah. What they well, did. especially if you're coming off of what was already established. Yeah. That show had such high standards mm-hmm. to then knock it. Th- it would be different if it, like, started cheap yeah. and got really good. But the fact that it went the opposite route is <laughs> just, yeah, uh, I'm kind of a loss for words with the show, but mm. it's like, it's the most unsatisfying ending to a show that it, people invested so many hours into yeah. not just watching, but discussing, talking about fan fiction, just, you know, almost like theory crafting around the show, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to just see the throne get burnt down because this dragon suddenly has a concept of you know <laughs> uh, <Fire>! sig- symbolism <laughs> uh 
sprinkle a little metaphor in there. Yeah, and then Bran as the king. I'm just, what is going <laughs> Bran, on here, man? Bran. Okay, to be fair, I have only seen season one. And so when I heard about Bran at the end, I was like, that is a king. (laughs) He started from the bottom, getting pushed out of a tower, and look at him now. Mm. A king. Yeah, so, I don't know, it's, uh, I really wanted it to be so, so good. They should have just not made that last episode, and it would be (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, But regardless, um, while season eight was a disappointment in my eyes, and then also a lot of my friends, um... It still had a lot of good season finales. Mm-hmm. Um, right off the top of my head, I'm not too sure if it is a finale, but whenever they blow up that ca- uh, church or the... Uh, what's it Couldn't called? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, <laughs> Could not on. tell you. Yeah. Um, well, he's looking that up. Just a couple other to mention that were poor finales. Uh, Merlin, that was sad. And then How I Met Your Mother, that was given to us by our producer, Kayla. She is death glaring me right now because she was so upset about it. Um, I, an understandable. I found some info about the How I Met Your Mother finale, mm. and that one, that finale was recorded long before that season. It was recorded like in the middle of the show. Kayla's entering the chat. <laughs> See, the thing with like a show like How I Met Your Mother is that they had the finale planned. Like this whole oh. show is built around the eventual finale that he was going to introduce the mother and like like that is what the show is how i met your mother <laughs> and then that's like just what makes the finale finale so much worse <laughs> is that they had this plan all along and they're just gonna destroy us all Yikes. like that yeah. That's bad. Now we have an example, too, where when you write the finale first, it might not Sometimes go as planned. Sometimes it doesn't <laughs> always work out for you. Yeah. So back to that Game of Thrones episode I was thinking mm-hmm. about. Season 6, episode 10. Great mm. season finale. Very cool. They blow up the sept. Uh, uh, was it Joffrey's little brother jumps out the castle window and then... Brand 2.0. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I love that episode with a passion. Nice. <laughs> so... Well, speaking of good finales, then, mm-hmm. um, we're going to jump over to some job well done for these boys. Um, the first thing I thought of was Breaking Bad. That's one of the ones where it's like, ah, he died, or mm-hmm. like, he's going to jail, or whatever, because there's a theory that he didn't actually die. Not the point of the show. <laughs> um, but, like, that was sad for him as a character, and, like, you kind of grow to cheer for him and, like, that sort of thing, but it just... Yeah, that's how it was meant to end. Like, he mm-hmm. accomplished his goal of providing for his family. And Jesse got away, and Jesse's mm-hmm. going to have a life. So, like, upsetting, but satisfying, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Very satisfying. I enjoyed that season a lot. It just holistically a great experience. And that final shot is just mm-hmm. chef's kiss. Oh, yeah. Mwah. But would you argue that maybe... The continuation of Jesse's story is the real ending here of El Camino. Oh, movie? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess, like, I always, like, obviously Jesse's a huge part of Breaking Bad, but I always considered that Walt's yeah. story. It's kind of like, I do like the movie as more of a definite yeah. ending for Jesse. It's like what Solo is to the Star Wars franchise. Right. Just done right. well. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I appreciate El Camino as just kind of a final yeah. note on that series. Absolutely. I agree. The Good Place. I haven't seen the ending of The Good Place. but Neither I read have it. I. 
Kayla? Um, <laughs> see, I'm in denial that the show is over. So I am still have not seen the final season. Because you don't want it to end? At all. Oh, my gosh. I have heard that it's good, though. See, with The Good Place is that this is another example of a show that they had everything planned out from the beginning. And so whereas more shows would continue on with more seasons, they decided, like, you know, the plot is just kind of worn out at this point. We're going to end it now while we're ahead. Kind of Which, keeps the integrity. You know, I respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Respect them. Yeah. I when and when I talk about my show later, they uh, did not do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender. I haven't seen this one. Again, Kayla, that's that's on you. Kayla, you're doing, getting a lot of uh, airtime here. Wow, this is good. Yeah. This is good. I'm, I'm glad I can actually like do more than just <laughs> produce for you guys. Just sit there and watch the computer. A, good to have a third voice. Kayla Mara, everybody. Yes. Um... Avatar The Last Airbender, chef's kiss of a show. So good. I'm a little upset that neither of you have seen it. I'm halfway through <laughs> and I don't remember the finale from my childhood. Um, It's one of those like bittersweet finales, I'd say. It's like, it's a kid's show. Mm-hmm. So it's very much just like, oh, cute. <laughs> <laughs> They're all happy. So that's good. It's the general reaction. Hmm. Cute. <laughs> I mean, that's I'd say how that's I reacted, satisfying. So. Yeah. Um. Then also on there, I haven't seen. Oh. And well, okay. I've seen part of the second show listed, mm-hmm. but you should go ahead. I'm gonna start from the last one. So this was recommended since we're still on the. We haven't really seen this all the way through the end. Yeah. But sorry it's been about reco- that. Recommended to us. Um, maybe in uh, the crown fashion, we'll all watch <laughs> the finale some Ooh, of these. <laughs> the crown, uh, but uh, recommended. Lost season three has a great ending, where uh, throughout the plot, or the plot is summarized very well by uh, these two clans meeting up and duking it out. Uh, in recent releases, the Queen's Gambit. I just finished up. Great ending. And it really, like, ties the whole thing together. And I pray Netflix don't make another season because this is just great standalone. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Beth, uh, spoiler, beats this uh, beats the Russians at their uh, own game, basically. And uh, after a lot of trials and, tri- and tribulations, we see Beth walking alone through the streets of uh, Moscow. I believe it is in Moscow. Kind of confused if it's Moscow or Paris, but I do believe it's Moscow, given that there's so many old men sitting in the park playing chess. Mm. Uh, And it almost ends the way it starts, because Beth starts her chess journey uh, with this janitor at the the orphanage. Is this based on a short story? Do we know? Yeah, it's based on a book, I'm pretty sure. Because there is a story that sounds oddly similar to this that I read every single year in middle school. I do believe so, because I, I think I read somewhere that, it, uh, I wonder if it's New York Times that wrote that hmm. it gained success X amount of years after release. I'll, I'll try for You want to look it up? Yeah, you keep yeah. going. So, the show ends in the same fashion it starts, kind of. Basically, the start of the show is that uh, Beth learns chess from this January at the orphanage, and... Uh, like she learns so many like life lessons throughout playing chess with this guy, and as the show progresses, she starts to you know indulge in alcohol and uh, narcotics and this and that, and she just has this very 
troubling road to the end of the show. But as she beats uh, the Russian, she kind of like finds this inner peace uh, on the way out of Russia, on the way to the airport, where she basically just tells the driver in the car, she said, just stop, and she leaves. And I feel like that's kind of a, a symbolic thing, given that she kind of just leaves all the noise behind, and she returns to the thing that she loves the most, which is just pure chess. And so she just walks alone through the park and then sees all these old men. She still has, she saw them earlier in the episodes uh, or in the season, but now she's actually interacting with them as she's the new uh, world champion, grandmasterish uh, player. So all these old men now know of her. Mm. So they're like, oh my God, it's Beth. Oh, it's you. You just did this and that. And then she sits down and this is the sad, most satisfying part about this show. She sits down, camera square on, and she just leans onto the table and then puts her chin into her fingers and just like, all right, let's play some chess, old man. Oh, yes. And then cut the black. Queen's Gambit. What a girl. What a queen. Mm. It so, just says that it's um, she's inspired by a true story, but Beth herself is a fictional character. Okay. Gotcha. Um, now I'm going to just share a brief explanation of a show that the finale is kind of disputed if it was good or bad or anywhere in between. Mm. It's Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's a Japanese anime from 1996. I'm not going to bother explaining the show. It's freaking wild as heck. <laughs> it's about these like angels, but they're actually like they're not robots. Like I don't know. It's wacky. Um, but essentially, the show has two endings that are disputed. One of them is episodes 25 and 26, which were released in line with the with the rest of the series in 96. And then there's a movie called The End of Evangelion, which came out in 97. In process of making the show, there were these weird external factors like scheduling difficulties and funding that made it proceedingly hard to finish the series. And basically one day they just kind of, kind of said, nope. Y'all are done. Got to finish it up. And they still had 25 and 26 left. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of just had to slap things together and make it work. And I don't I couldn't find if like what they showed was what they had planned or if they had to like change the plot and stuff. Mm -hmm. But basically the two episodes feel crazy. There's like hand drawn sketches like they're unfinished. Um, There's some like weird live action elements and it's like super stripped down and like really bare and people have attributed that to like um part of the story like it's Shin- shinji's mental deterioration as mm-hmm. or like actual actualization as part of the whole plot but then some are like no that's literally just because they couldn't finish the show mm-hmm. so oh so this is discussed after the fact this is after the oh, fact okay, yeah it. that people are like uh those were weird right mm-hmm. and everyone's like yeah considering there's just no drawings basically mm-hmm. um and then when the movie came out that was kind of more of a conclusion of sorts. Not necessarily to replace 25 and 26, but just to wrap it up a bit more. But then some people don't accept that because they're like, no, the show is the show. We don't want the movie, or at least just don't think that the movie is as important or if the movie is even canon or not. Mm -hmm. Um, The question of whether 25 and 26 were good or bad I think is down to like fan preference because so much of the show is focused on the literal apocalypse that's happening and like mm-hmm. the details of the world around that. Whereas 25 and 26 are literally like internal emotions mm-hmm. of the main character. 
And so that's a heavy ship shift thematically. Yeah, that's weird. But then also, like, all the drawing of it is just wonky. They just kind of had to find a way to justify what they were doing because basically yeah. scrambled desperation mode at this point. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, like, what it would have looked like with the proper mm-hmm. funding, like, if they were able to finish it how they wanted to. You think uh, you think uh, people would appreciate a, not per se a reboot, but just kind of, like, okay, what's the alternative ending here? I don't know. Well, I think that's what the movie was kind of supposed to be. I haven't seen the movie, but mm-hmm. I've seen the show. Um, I had started like... it with my brother and then finished it recently. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like the movie just wasn't connected properly to there the was, show. There was a gap, and then there was, like, another thing that came out or, like, something else that got released that tried to connect them better. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's hard to explain without explaining the whole plot, but the plot is... This whoa. is what's tough when money plays a big role. Of <laughs> that <it>. is true. <laughs> That is true. Which is such a shame because obviously there's a devoted fan base here and there's a lot of yeah. people who's, who goes, you know, and having it's questions. Like, it's pretty acclaimed as a series too. And yeah. I think for reasons other than just like the wacky ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it's a little sad because, you know, you want to see what the potential was, what could have mm-hmm. been. Mm-hmm. And now you kind of can't. Right. And then, right. yeah, again, like we said, a bad finale leaves you with more questions unanswered than answered. Right, right. So, that's wild. I should, uh, I'm going to look more into that. That's interesting. So, we've picked uh, a series, a finale, to talk about each. Mm. And I had a hard time figuring out which one to pick. So, last night, I was texting Maddie. I was like, I don't know what to pick. I'm watching, like, 15 episodes. I don't know which one. Like, they're all pretty good. (laughs) And among them, I watched um, season three and season four finale of Orange is the New Black. Very nice. I watched uh, Queen, Queen's Gambit, of course, <laughs> again. But I landed on what's probably one of my favorite uh, Netflix shows of all time, Peaky Blinders. Boy, what are the Peaky yeah. Blinders? <laughs> the Peaky Blinders. Oh, I love that show. So <laughs> between the very, very... Uh, detailed descriptions of Alfie Solomons to the stoic nature of Tommy Shelby Alfie. and the, the the brutish uh, personality of Arthur. <laughs> There's a lot to love oh, with my brother, Tom. Peaky Blinders. Not just that they do season finales really well, they also do season openers equally as good. Yeah. So uh, whenever there's a season ending, I always look forward to the next season because I know I'll get two stellar episodes mm-hmm. in a row. Mm-hmm. But season three, episode six, is summarizing the plot line that is that Tommy has gone and, and done a deal with the Russians and uh, this mad <laughs> Father Hughes. Uh, and uh, he basically gets just everything just hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy basically loses Charlie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Little boy Charles gets <laughs> taken from Tommy at this... Uh, uh, event that's uh, all dedicated to uh, the orphans or the kids of Birmingham mm. that are uninsured. <laughs> uh, and this starts the whole sequence where Tommy basically loses. He just goes into war mode, basically. And he just alienates everyone. He goes into his own bubble. And this is very strongly emphasized through the camera work that's done in the show as they go from like this steady cam shot to just handheld. It's everything is very shaky and chaotic and that kind of persist throughout the episode. Um, the characters around Tommy's 
I'm thinking more specifically about Arthur and John, Polly, uh, and Michael. Oh, I love Aunt Polly. Yeah, <clears throat> great, great character. So Arthur and John really shows their devotion to Tommy once again in this episode. Michael develops from this, you know, farmer kid that they've, you know, brought back into the family and basically has this initiation into the Peaky Blinders. Um, and we get the tie up the plot lines that which are Father Hughes, the Russians, and Alfie Solomons. <clears throat> what makes this episode so great is that every single scene in this episode is so emotionally loaded, and it's what I would like to call the reverse uh, di what's it called like uh, diegetic. Diegetic, yes. Interesting. It's this reverse diegetic where there the emotions of the character reflects back onto the viewer, and mm. you're just so invested in what's going on. It's also a great episode because it could basically be a standalone episode, just like one short film as it has this novel mm -hmm. uh, structure to it, uh, limited amount of characters and whatnot. I think it's really, I'm just going to interject. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny this is the finale you picked because this is probably the finale I remember the least. Not Ooh. in that it means that it's like not bad. It's mm -hmm. obviously great. I, there's just other episodes of that show that I remember. To be fair, season three in general is kind of a fever dream in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I was not expecting you to pick this one, but I'm happy that you did. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, I had a lot of other options considering that it's Peaky Blinders and there's mm -hmm. so many good uh, openings and endings. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one, again, we were like, all my roommates, the dog and the lizard was just like, hey, watch this episode, <laughs> the trust dog me. And the yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the first scene that I want to talk about here that is just fantastic is uh, between uh, Tommy and Alfie when Alfie has provided Tommy with a list of different buyers regarding the Fabergé egg. Oh, I almost forgot. I should just quickly summarize the whole thing. Oh, God. <laughs> the whole yeah. thing basically is um, Tommy needs to execute this last mission for Foddy Hughes, and uh, um, throughout the season, the Russians have uh, hired Tommy, or Tommy has been in contact with the Russians, and now the government wants to blame the Russians for blowing up this train. Russians find out, uh, he makes another deal with the Russians, and then Father Hughes finds out about that deal, <laughs> and now Father Hughes is pissed at Tommy, and oh, Tommy has to do more stuff for Father Tommy. Hughes. If not, they're going to kill little boy Charlie. Oh, Basically. Charlie. Yeah. And so the whole setup brings in this, like, uh, trifecta, this holy trinity of just chaos, <laughs> which is, uh, we all know that Tommy won't die, because he's, you know, Tommy Shelby. <laughs> the story revolves around him, so that, that one is safe. <laughs> Right. But Arthur and John mm. could very much be expendable in this episode. Mm. The same with Michael. Mm. So the three of them, their three plot lines rely on each other. Because if, uh, if Tommy doesn't get the uh, jewels from the Russians by uh, 10 o'clock in the, in the episode, Arthur and John needs to blow up the train to blame the Russians. Mm -hmm. uh, that also relies on, but that could also uh, be disrupted if Michael gets to Charlie before uh, Tommy gets the jewels. That means that Arthur and John doesn't have to blow up the train. Mm -hmm. Now, why is the train important? Because there's innocent lives on board. And we know Tommy Shelby is morally gray. Yes. He don't want to kill Basically, people. <laughs> what Tommy says to Arthur and John in this episode is, we're going to blow up the train and there will be people on board. <laughs> people will die. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. And then he you just to see leaves. Um, so that's the whole summary of the whole episode. Now, the scene between Michael and Father Hughes is an intense scene, mm -hmm. almost as intense as it could be uh, just that episode or that section alone. 
because the f- backstory is that Father Hughes is uh, somewhat of an abusive character. He uh, likes to mm. put his hands on uh, minors. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. And Michael, Michael's been on the receiving end of this. So there's a lot of emotional, you know, tension built up, so to say. Michael walks in, finds Father Hughes, points the gun to his face. And right as he is about to pull the trigger, Father Hughes responds and then punches that gun out the out of the hands of Michael. Uh, what ends up happening is that uh, Michael and Father, <laughs> Father Hughes kicks Michael's... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, but it ends with Michael pulling out a switchblade and straight up just shoving that thing in Father Hughes' neck. As you do, yeah. I suppose. When and you're so, in the Peaky Blinders. Well, he's a Peaky Blinder now, for sure. <laughs> no uh, going back. No going back. And so at the end of this sequence, we just see Michael sitting there, face covered in blood, and this is a great shot by the director where Michael sits in the cold blue light with blood on his face while mm. Char- little boy Charlie is in the, in the other room and they're divided by the wall and you just see this warm glowing like childish innocence mm-hmm. coming from Charlie and then you just see the the allegory for growing up in in, in crooked Birmingham. <laughs> oh. That's good. Yeah, it's a, it's an insane scene and it's so great. Now, the Tommy, Alfie, and Michael scene is also great because this is foreshadowing in a major sense that Alfie just preaches to Tommy about how, how unjustified his anger towards Alfie is. Mm. In the sense that Tommy blames Alfie for the kidnapping of Charlie. But then again, Alfie goes and says, but hey, who's the guy who's been killing fathers and sons regardless with no second thought for the last three seasons, bud? Mm. You. Call him out. Yeah. And that's suddenly now the perspective's changing a little bit. Uh, the next scene. <clears throat> Arthur at the factory talking to the factory workers. Uh, no, the railroad, the train people. <laughs> uh, Choo-choo. Basically shows the more emotional and pers- like personable side of Arthur as he's not, he's gone away from this more brutish character and he's just showing kind of not remorse, but he doesn't want to be there. Uh, and he basically tells everyone that there's going to be six people on board this train. If we don't hear anything by 10 p.m., we're going to blow it up and plant the evidence that the Russians did it. Um, so many good just one-liners from Arthur <laughs> through throughout there. there. He goes like, why would you want to go to heaven when you can send bad men to hell? Oh, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, He's so edgy. Oh, yeah. And then... As the episode progresses and Tommy finally gets the jewels. He's been digging this tunnel with his uh, army buds. He gets the jewels. He tells them to tell, uh, call Finn. Finn runs out. He finds Arthur and John. But before he gets to say anything, boom, train goes up in the air. Tough. Innocent lives lost for no reason. Oh, man. And then... Uh, it all kind of summarizes as Tommy is standing alone in the phone booth and stoic Tommy, who's been this car- this stone-cold leader for the last three seasons, breaks down crying. Mm. Tough. Yeah. There's a, just a couple of the scenes that I just find so amazing. Uh, so just a couple notes further on this episode is that, like I said, the camera play- work plays into the emotional distress of the characters uh, as they uh, show their feelings like a said reverse diegetic Tommy loses his son typical Peaky Blinder move to play with camera work and time this really re-emphasizes throughout the next two seasons more or less 
Um, it's a great episode because it could have ended on three different situations. It would be equally as good. Mm -hmm. First, the one where uh, Tommy, he gets the jewels, he calls in the phone booth. They could have just cut the black. That would be good. Mm -hmm. Second uh, part is when Tommy talks to Tatiana, the Russian princess, where we figure out that they've been uh, conspiring behind the backs of Tatiana's father. Basically, she hires Tommy to steal her jewels for her. And um, this whole exchange plays out where she basically tells Tommy that uh, these jewels have seen way worse and that's why they're uh, cursed like we are. Mm -hmm. Which plays back to Alfie Solomon's testament that was, uh, uh, they don't know the wicked ways of our world. Might. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and yeah, the no episode itself is like a novel where you can you just drop right into the action and you wouldn't be too confused about what's going on as, you know, you don't really need too much of the backstory to understand the plot of the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's a very good episode. I recommend watching it again and again and mm -hmm. again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Wow. Yeah. From a great finale. To a horrible finale. Oh, there we go. Strap in. Uh, my choice, as I briefly alluded to earlier, should have ended way sooner than it did, but it didn't. Supernatural, ladies and gents. Um, I briefly talked, briefly but angrily talked about it in our last episode in our latest news about episode 19, but alas, episode 20, where I had hope, where I shouldn't have because it was so bad. I, here's the thing. I will fully state that, like, that show has been bad for years. It's got a lot of problematic things about it. I get that. But when you get a comfort show, it you don't choose it. It chooses you. And somehow that had to be my comfort show. And I'll take that in stride. Okay. <laughs> but basically, I stuck around for 15 years to be disrespected like that. Oh, my wow. Lord. I'm so appalled. Um, they somehow eliminated the best aspects of that show in 40 minutes. They, to be fair, it was filmed under COVID. So like some of it had to be changed and they couldn't have as many people, but that wasn't even going to change the main plot of that episode. And the main plot is what was bad about it. <laughs> Basically, they just, episode 19 ends with them defeating God. Good. Great. It was dumb, but it worked. So 20 is like, okay, what now? We get to, like, have our lives. We get free will. We just defeated our biggest enemy. We are finally free to do what we want. So they go on another hunt, just a casual vampire hunt, as you would. It's little jokes. You get to see them being all domestic. Dean has a dog. Wow, it was so cute and so great. And they're on this hunt. And they're fighting in a barn. And they kill off... Dean Winchester. They kill him. They have him get pushed into a nail. To be fair, it probably hit his spine, but everyone's joking that he just got tetanus and died in 20 minutes. Oh my God. And then they had this like 11 minute scene of Dean just like talking to Sam and being like, yeah, you're my little brother and I've always been here to protect you. And basically like within that speech, they had Dean reduce himself to just being there for Sam's Purpose. Like, Dean was the most complicated, complex character on that show. And in 10 minutes, they reduced him to nothing but Sam's older brother. That was trash. And so now <laughs> Dean's dead halfway through the episode. And so when they come back from commercial, it's a stupid montage of Sam being dead. And he just, like, 
burns Dean's corpse by himself. He doesn't even have a funeral. He doesn't talk to anyone. And then he just leaves the bunker. And then it shows Dean in heaven. And the only one in heaven with him is Bobby. And then Dean just goes for a drive. (laughs) And then they show a crappy montage of Sam's life when he has a son who he named Dean. And he has a blurry wife who they don't even tell you who she is, even though he had a love interest going into season 15. And then he dies and he has this ugly party city wig and he's old and he's like, got the Impala. Uh, And then it's stupid. And then they meet up in heaven and you find out that Dean has been driving around aimlessly until Sam got to heaven. Did someone say codependency or not? (laughs) These are grown men. Oh, my Lord. It was just so. This is just chaotic. It was so stupid. It was so bad. They did Dean dirty. They didn't even hint or talk about Cass or Jack or any of the other huge characters in this show. And the worst thing is they threw away all of the show's themes. That family doesn't end in blood, which apparently it does, and it also literally does, and that he died. Um, that love wins, that they save people, that we are, we have free will, and that you always keep fighting. But no, Dean was like, oh no, I'm fading fast, and then proceeded to live for 12 minutes to make a speech. You could have saved him, okay? That, oh, so bad. <laughs> but I could go on. But I'm going to instead turn to the updates that occurred after the season finale. No way. Oh. There's stuff they didn't include. Oh, buddy boys, you <laughs> don't even know. That's... Put on your tinfoil hats. Bef- I am. Before you begin, if you're a producer listening, by any chance, if you have to if you have to upload more information about your episode after the fact, you are like the one guy that has to explain why the joke is funny, and that's why it's not funny. Oh, (laughs) God. Y'all, I am uncovering the conspiracy (laughs) of the Supernatural finale. So I'd like to point out that when Jensen, who plays Dean, first heard the finale way before they started shooting season 15, he did not like the ending. He was like, I don't like it. And not to say he got gaslit into doing it, but everyone was like, no, we all like it. This is the way it has to be. And he was like, uh, fine, I guess. <laughs> so he did not, very clearly, did not like the ending. And there's an aspect that Jared, who plays Sam, is going on to play Walker in the new show, Walker, on the CW, which is like a Walker, Texas Ranger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they need to keep a fan base to move on to that show. But we're not, we're not about that. <laughs> so... The finale was on November 19th, so between November 19th and November 24th, just Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, every social media page you can find was just flooded with, like, unbridled rage mm-hmm. and grief for this show. Like, I have I was expecting to be sad losing this show, but I was angry. I was so mad at how it ended and how they just kind of threw everything away. Within this time, or, like, immediately after the finale, Jensen unfollowed the showrunner on Twitter, which is T, um, and then he just had radio silence. He was not saying a word about the finale, not doing anything. Misha tweeted this weird article about, like, rancid nuts, and everyone was looking into that being like, is he talking about, like, the producers and the writers? I don't know what that's about. And then fans uncovered a 2016 CW market research study about Destiel, that was showing how fans would respond to it. And basically, it indicated that they were working toward greenlighting that relationship in the show hmm. and that they were going to test it for audiences, which didn't happen quite, <laughs> so we will get there. So again, just general discontentment and emotional processing. Now, November 25th, behold, 
the Spanish dub. Oh my gosh. A Spanish dub was released and it has Destiel T. So when Cass dies in 18 and he professes his love for Dean, Dean's reaction, what we saw, was just like, oh, don't do this, Cass. In the Spanish dub, he reciprocates. Oh. He says, me too. What's going Yo, on here? Yo, A-T, Cass. He reciprocates. And so everyone was like, whoa, whoa, what whoa, scatter. This? And like try to figure it out. And basically, upon further review of the U.S. version, it's very clearly edited and cut down. That episode is two minutes shorter than a regular episode. It's awkward. The scenes, like the facial expressions, don't line up. Jensen was called in to redo some of his audio for the scene, specifically some crying in, like, October. And another odd note, before they filmed it, the writers got permission from Jensen to do this scene. Why would they need his permission if his character wasn't going to respond in a certain way? If he was just going to be Caspian, like, I love you, dude. Peace out. <laughs> and if Jensen wasn't, like, if Dean wasn't going to respond... They don't need to ask Jensen, but they did because he was most likely going to respond in a manner that they wanted to make sure he was okay with. And they didn't even consult him on the finale, but they consulted him on that, which is huge. And another fun detail, on the day they filmed that, Jensen, wanting to remember this lovely memory with his best friend Misha, had a crew member film the scene on his personal phone. This means that Jensen has the unedited footage of this scene Release the tapes, Jensen. Release the tapes. He is sitting on this information, (laughs) but he can't do anything about it because he's still under like non-disclosure agreements and like contracts. But he has. He's sitting on gold. Release the tapes, Jensen. Okay, November twenty-sixth. I call it. Read the room, Misha. Misha does this whole tweet video about him being like, "Hey, um." There was never an alternate ending to f- episode 18. There was apparently a rogue translator. And we just want to say that, like, that's not true and da-da-da-da-da. Lies. And so fans jumped on this tweet and they were like, no, this is barrier gaze. This is bad. This mm. is da-da-da. Like, all these things. And then he eventually responded saying, um, I'm sorry if I spoke defensively. I naively thought that Cass in 1518 was going to feel validating, but this isn't about me. Da-da-da-da-da. Tell us what we could have done better. And then more people were responding. And then he was like, I see a lot of comments about um, what we could do, but as a, like, as a individual, I don't know what to do. And the thing is, like, no one was really attacking him personally because it's not like he wrote it. But we think the theory is that the CW forced him to be the one to talk to fans because fans, specifically queer fans, connect to him the most because he's always mm-hmm. been so open and so willing to, like, support Destiel and the fans that believe that. And so they made him do it, which was crappy, to say the least. Mm-hmm. November 27th, mm-hmm. gay, but this time in Italian. An Italian dub was released that confirmed the Spanish dub, even though we're pretty sure that it's fake. But just more fuel to the fire. <laughs> it was just so like, another one? <laughs> um, then Jensen finally broke his media silence, except all he did was comment on an Instagram post about episode 18 in the Destiel scene. And that was it. He's hardly said anything except about 18, which is weird. And then Morty, Netflix released the last seven episodes. Eight days after the finale, they put the last seven episodes up, which is like unheard of. It usually takes months, if not a year, 
for like the new episodes to be brought up. Mm-hmm. So we think that's like a, oh, please take this offering of the episodes <laughs> and forgive us. And we're all like, uh, no. And the tea with that is that the Spanish audio dubs are not available. They are Ooh. being delayed. Wonder why that could be, <laughs> huh? Hmm. Hmm, a rogue so translator? Much stuff going on here. Oh my god. November 28th. You guys. So, people who ship Destiel were normally just like Destiel shippers. They have a new name. They're called Hellers. And that's because there's a joke about Cass. When he died, he went to super turbo hell, even though he just went to the empty. But, you know, mm-hmm. Gen, Gen Z, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so now they call themselves Hellers, which I love. There's an unrealized Heller that we have now discovered. <laughs> The 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama, follows a Destiel fan account on Twitter. (laughs) This is confirmed. I gotta go. This is confirmed. I looked it up myself. He is there. I never thought president. Oh, the best. (laughs) I never thought that this square of my 2020 bingo card would get filled out, but it did. I'm sorry, but I've been listening to his audiobook and it's hard for me to connect these two things, but I love it at the same time. (laughs) Um, He follows like 500,000 people, but a Desdiel account is one of them. And to make it better and to connect it to Peaky Blinders, so does Sam Neill, who plays Campbell and who's also in Jurassic Park. He also (laughs) follows this account, so... I'm just know? really glad to know that um, Barack Obama is a heller. I'm, I'm <laughs> here for that. So now, November 29th, not as much tea, but just some like fans taking action. They went on Twitter with the hashtag something to say, and we're just kind of like posting a bunch of stuff about characters and shows that had slighted LGBTQ characters in that in plot lines. And then the hashtag they silenced you is kind of going along with that, which brings up the question, was it bad writing or was it censorship, which gets into a whole other issue. Um, but yeah, and then November 30th, has it's been oddly quiet since then. November really just held... November was the supernatural experience I didn't know I needed or wanted mm-hmm. or was expecting. Um, Could have gone without. And now the thing is... As crazy as all that was, I was basically reading Tumblr like a newspaper every night. Um, But now we're left in the weird, like, oh, that really was the end of that show. And these were (laughs) problems that didn't get fixed. They're major problems, too. Yeah. and so small things. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think now we're all kind of finally feeling, like, the sadness that the show is over, but more Mm -hmm. just, like, the true disappointment of how it ended and what we got and like the frustration with the whole situation. But here's to hoping that in the future we will get the tapes at Mm -hmm. Jensen, release them, that through like conventions or just media stuff, they'll tell us what's going on and we'll learn more about it. But maybe in a future episode we'll uh, revisit this topic. Oof, what a whirlwind. That is insane. That is so much stuff and it's major like issues. So, Those are like someone needs to clear baiting and like yeah. just oh my god, it's so much. Someone needs to be responsible for this. Yeah, this is insane. Oh wow. my lord! <laughs> so there's my uh, there's my drop for this yeah. episode. That's uh, two <laughs> good, one good, one really really bad <laughs> <laughs> example. Oh yeah, of how to do a se- season finale. <laughs> but in other news, other things have been coming out. Yeah. <laughs> There's news to be talked about. So let's get into that. Let's do it. Um, the Grammy nominations were released. The mm-hmm. awards aren't until January 31st. But, you I'm, know, people I'm, people like to look at those, yeah. I suppose. 
there's some good ones in there. I saw Beyonce was nominated for a whole bunch of mm-hmm. uh, different work. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently, Justin Bieber was mad that he was in the pop album and not the R&B album. But yeah. truthfully, he should be happy that he's just nominated. There's also uh, a lot of uh, talk about The Weeknd not being nominated. Mm-hmm. Also... <laughs> Just not really, almost not related, but uh, Bruno Mars released uh, or posted the Instagram post where it goes, you can't get not nominated for the Grammys if you don't make music, (laughs) which I thought was funny. Facts. Um, Yeah, just a quick look through here. I feel like they've added and removed a whole bunch of genres. Mm. Um, I don't know much about the Grammys. I've never been too invested. Yeah, I feel like the Grammys... I don't know how much credit they get. I have the same relationship with the Grammys as I have with the Oscar. They're Mm. just kind of... For show, I don't really care. I make my own uh, opinions. (laughs) Yeah, valid. (laughs) But uh, let's just do some of the major ones. Record of the Year, Beyonce for Black Parade, uh, Black Pumas for Colors, uh, The Baby for a rock star, Doja Cat for Say So. That one's kind of a curveball for me, but it's fine. I don't... Not gonna say anything. Everything I wanted. Billie Eilish, Don't Start Now, Dua Lipa, Post Malone for Circles, and Megan Thee Stallion featuring Beyonce for Savage. Hmm. Um, album of the Year, Colombo, Janae Aiko, Black Pumas, Black Pumas, Everyday Life, Coldplay, DJC Volume T3. Yeah, Cold. They're, st- they're still in there. <laughs> yeah, they're in there. All right. I was, uh, surprised. Uh, DJC Volume 3, Jacob Collier, uh, Women in Music Part 3, Haim. Haim? Haim? I'm sorry if I butchered that. (laughs) Uh, Future Nostalgia, Dua Lipa, Hollywood's Bleeding, Post Malone, and Folklore, Taylor Swift. Yeah. And this kind of repeats itself. I feel like they listen to the same albums uh, for the, like, first four, five? Yeah. Yeah, the first five genres. Almost the same stuff. <laughs> Small. Well, even like onto um, song of the year, a lot mm-hmm. of them are the same as record of the year. Mm-hmm. A couple of thrown in there. Uh, and then new best new artist of the year. Uh, oh, this one's good. D Smoke. If you don't know, let's do some uh, inter uh, medium talk. <laughs> oh Lord. Because D Smoke got his uh, got a lot of attention after he won the Netflix show Rhythm and Flow. Mm. Uh, and he released two albums. I believe one of them is Inglewood High, and the other one is Black Habits, and they're both fantastic albums. So, my uh, my vote is for him. But uh, the cool. rest of the artists uh, is Ingrid Andres, Phoebe Bridgers, Shika. I'm not sure. If, I'm sorry again if I butchered that. Noah Cyrus, D Smoke, Doja Cat, uh, Katronda, and Megan The Stallion. Megan The Stallion too would also be one of my picks mm-hmm. for that one. Mm-hmm. That's my two cents. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff uh, going on here. I was trying to find the international section because it's always fun to see what is being represented, but I could not even find the section. So oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> interpret that, that well. as w- much as you want. But they do have a music for video and film. Mm-hmm. Oh, is this music video? Yeah, music video, mm. film. That makes sense. So I was thinking more about scores given our uh, last... <laughs> episodes but never mind (laughs) so that's the grammys um then this is just a fun little note at the macy's thanksgiving day parade they had some theater and i just want to highlight that because you know theater has been pretty lacking with covid and everything um they had shows Mm -hmm. like hamilton jagged little pill mean girls and anastasia a couple others just like little songs they did the skyler sisters from hamilton that was fun Mm -hmm. um it was just good to like see people live singing in costume yeah um 
This one was brought up by our producer, Kayla. Taylor Swift released the Long Pond Studio Sessions mm. on Disney+. Plus. It's kind of like a movie concert vibe of folklore, but they're like played live with two of the people that she worked on the album with. That's cool. Um, I'm about to get absolutely wrecked on this next one, but Spotify wrapped things, playlists, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, got released, and yeah. that's really fun. This is uh, one of my highlights of the year, for sure, when Spotify mm. rap comes out, because everyone's, like, comparing, mm. and you can see what your friends are listening to, and then you have that one friend that has, like, 400,000 hours of music, and you're like, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> um, I should probably admit now, uh, I don't have Spotify. Oh! I also don't have Apple Music. Oh, what do you use? <laughs> You not listen to music? How have we been talking about music? <laughs> Tell the people, Maddie. <laughs> YouTube <laughs> with ads. Oh, you are. I just you listen to know. everything on YouTube because I'm too cheap to <laughs> yeah, pay for anything. That's what I'm saying. Oh my gosh. Okay, and like I do, I have plenty of music on, like downloaded on my phone, mm-hmm. like from CDs and stuff. Um, I'm just like way too cheap to you know spend five dollars a month. Like I won't, but I listen to music. 24% like all the time I mean it works it does but I'm just like YouTube <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's like oh look at my Spotify raps and I'm like uh, I got What's that I got that Grammarly ad <laughs> for every video <laughs> oh gosh but That's like I, I, I discover a lot of new music I yeah. suppose but I do enjoy seeing the Spotify raps I think they're funny yeah I think it's fun because you know it's kind of like <laughs> you can almost uh, you can almost uh, benchmark yourself each year. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fun. Like, I had some 400, 300 new uh, artists listen to, like, last oh, year. Sweet. This year, I had 509 total. Oh, I had 509 artists listen to total, oh, and sure. 309 of them were new. Interesting. So I th- it's fun to see, like, how you mm-hmm. progress like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just. Yeah, I'm sure that information would be handy. Yeah. I don't have it. Also and fun to know, like, when you're the top 0.5% of someone's listeners. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Usually my Spotify rap just wrecks me because <laughs> <laughs> it's usually, like, musical theater, um, <laughs> random Christian songs. Maybe an MCR thrown in uh, there. Maybe some My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. Maybe some country. Um, or just entirely my middle school emo phase playlist. But <laughs> Yeah. The one guilty pleasure that stops you from reposting it. <laughs> Hey, I had a friend this who year, said that mine for, was three, good. for three there years in a row, her top artist was Jason Derulo. So <laughs> just do with that Derulo. what you will. Great. <laughs> There's worse things to have as your top artist. Yeah, that's true. At least uh, she has a top artist. <laughs> what do you mean every artist is your top artist? <laughs> you know, that's right. That yeah. is so true. We don't put limitations on <laughs> music around here. We love ads. <laughs> that's definitely not one. <laughs> All right. A um, couple of uh, things from uh, Netflix here. Valhalla Murders are on Netflix now. It's a very, uh, very nice show. I watched a couple episodes the other day, and it's about the the first serial killer in Iceland, and it's all in Icelandic, and just it's just nice. It's just a good show to watch. Yeah, Quality. Yeah. <laughs> Murder. Good yeah. content. No, but it's just well made, and the characters are interesting, and. Mostly I watched just because the synapses. <laughs> <laughs> a police officer from Oslo, and I pressed play. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, other news, Dave Chappelle got Netflix to remove The Chappelle Show from uh, Netflix. All of it. Because apparently Netflix did not pay Chappelle for uh, having the show up. 
How do you feel about that? That's really poopy. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. How about that, huh? I wouldn't expect that to happen in uh, with Netflix in 20... <laughs> Netflix, how long have you been doing this game? You know not to ri- rip up at least someone like Dave Chappelle, yeah. who's been in this business longer than you've existed, and he's been through this oh, stuff with geez. Comedy Central already. Right. I'm surprised he even, like, keeps his stand-up contract with Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised Kevin Hart would do the same. Right. All of this, they could have lost so many comedians. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of a community that they've got. Why would they do that? Why would they try to cheat Dave Chappelle like that? Like, I'm genuinely offended. And he's a big name, too. Like, it's not like, obviously, they shouldn't do it to anyone. But if it was, like, a minor person, they could have maybe gotten away with it. But Dave Chappelle, really? The stand-up comedy juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually. He almost, like, him and Kevin Hart and a couple more, they are the backbone of stand-up Netflix. Mm. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know what to think about it. I read a couple of articles, and it's just... Mm, I don't know about that. Terrible. Why yeah. would you do that? So from Netflix, big blunder and uh, <laughs> mistakes, <laughs> almost un, uh, unapolo- uh, sorry, un uh, redeemable mm, choice mm-hmm. to probably Netflix's biggest hit, which is The Queen's Gambit. So from Forbes, in the article, they write that The Queen's Gambit, uh, upon their debut on October 23rd, they have now placed top 10 in 92 countries, oh, ranked wow. number one in 63 countries, including the UK, Argentina, Israel, and South Africa. Uh, at that, it's a total of 62 million viewers that have seen the show since, uh, since release, and Forbes describes it as how Netflix scored a global checkmate. Funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. And additional to that, chess sets on eBay are up 250%. Uh, Goli- uh, Goliath Games says that chess sales have increased over 170%. Amazing. And I think I read somewhere that it was like 105% more traffic to online chess playing sites. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we can now, if you wanted to, we could have discussed the social influence of TV and, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of medium. Because that's it's significant. That's <laughs> chess. Yeah. Of all things. I love it. So... If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who also plays Gina Gray in yeah, the Peaky we love, Blinders. We love her. We stand her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> great piece. Um, and then just because I love Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, he looked stunning in his last photo shoot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The Harvard Crimson has written a piece about Borat 2, calling Borat the subsequent movie film a stunning portrayal of American exceptionalism. And basically, it's uh, written by uh, Cassandra Luca, Crimson's staff writer. And she just goes on to, like, show how Borat... (laughs) A movie you wouldn't think would have really a lot of thought to it Mm. in the sense that... Uh, what you see is kind of what you get, but it's not the case as Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius movie maker. <laughs> um, but she basically just points out how uh, Borat 2 points to all of these societal norms in the sense that we would rather um, do something that is sort of unethical and unmoral. Or we would support that just so that we wouldn't make people uncomfortable. Mm. Like uh, in the movie when Borat buys a cage for his daughter, the guy happily obliges. And that kind of plays on the whole idea of all those 
children torn away from their families at the border mm. but mm-hmm. still this, there's this guy and he's just like yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah. Oh, this yes. is a lucky girl here's the cage it's like oh <laughs> okay so it's a great piece to read and it's just mm-hmm. i just want to throw that in there cool at the end um and then this last one was also brought up by our producer oh Kayla. yeah i saw this but one yesterday this is a good one i added this into <laughs> i am finishing up an ops piece about this exact situation but Harry Styles clapped back mm-hmm. on Instagram mm-hmm. to Candace Tell Owens. Him. So he had done a Vogue photo Tell. shoot, and <laughs> it was great. You know, truly, a, what a wonderful dude. Um, and an author, her name's Candace Owens, she, like, retweeted one of the photos mm-hmm. just being like, oh, something about masculinity. We need manly men because Styles was wearing a dress mm-hmm. and, like, a tuxedo coat. And so he was pretty much quiet since that happened. That was, like, mid-November. And now he finally on Instagram posted a photo just of him in like another suit coat, but it's like got some frills and some colors on it, and he's eating a banana. Mm-hmm. And it just his caption was just "Bring back manly men." He really I, just used it against her. Love it. I hope Candace Owens is out there crying like a dude. <laughs> <laughs> I it reminded me of um, Greta Thunberg using like Trump's yep. comments about her against him. Like she would just like revamp them or like put mm. them in her bio. And I'm just glad that he finally kind of like said something without really saying something like he's like i'm aware of what you said uh-huh. really don't care yep thanks enjoy this picture of keep me. doing what i'm doing <laughs> yeah and good on him for doing that don't let these haters <laughs> get a word in kayla you got any <laughs> thoughts on harry styles um bring back manly men yeah <laughs> and put them in dresses yeah <laughs> let them eat bananas and cry <laughs> yeah honestly it's just like if he's be comfortable him. being him, I'd much rather have that and like him be a decent human being than not. So, oh well. So that's the episode on season finales. It's not the, our finale. No, we'll it's be not. back one more time. Yeah, but hopefully soon. It's the season finale of this year, and then we can all hopefully we'll see what happens. Hopefully, <laughs> we can go into next season. <laughs> that's true. Thank you, everyone, for thank listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.